0: we must learn to fight well for ourselves first. Then we can confidently support and cheer on our loved ones in the best ways. Welcome to all your mothers who know. You are so wonderful for being here. Thank you so much for coming. We are excited about our meeting today. It's the 5th Tuesday of the month. And every time it's the 5th Tuesday of the month, we reach out to Oh, just another resources resource here at Life Changing Services that is so invested in their specialty and what their expertise is and their life experience, as well as their training, to come and share with us. And today, we have Ashley Levitt, who's here with us. And yeah, we are so excited to have her. And I'm excited to share with you a little bit about the connection that we already have have been working on with Ashley and some things about that and before we get into her presentation but we just want to really extend a special welcome to you this is our warrior mothers you know meeting it's all about support and connection and we really try to follow the spirit here and the thing that makes that happen so beautifully is you you coming to this meeting creates such a powerful. Experience and what you share does as well. And we just learn so much together as we really, in our last meeting, become kind of an, we help Heavenly Father answer each other's prayers. And I thought that was so beautiful what Kim said. Thank you so much for being here, everyone. Uh, Ashley is such a wonderful person. I've wanted to connect with her for some time. And I've been so grateful that she's been willing to work on a project with me for Mothers Who Know. So I know that she kind of specializes in boundaries and so many other things. But one of the things that I've heard her say in other meetings before I asked her to collaborate with us was that she just really loves helping people to identify, you know, how boundaries help them in their lives. And then also, Assist them to kind of work it out, like figure it out in their own life. And so I'm currently working on in both of our busy schedules how to connect with her about some of my own things that I want to talk to her about that are pertaining to boundaries in my own life with my own self and my own relationships with people that I love. But also the thing that we've been working on for, gosh, I think we just finished our fifth episode and we're having a six-part series on boundaries on our mothers who know channel coming up here. And so, after this stay by the tree webinar series that will launch, and so we're excited about that and I ask, "Ashley, would you just come and teach us about boundaries?" And I'm going to reach out to women and ask them if they'd like to just come in a classroom format and use the your training as well as our comments for the podcast. And so, Anyway, it's been so great to have her do that with us, and we have all learned a lot. One of the things that I was excited to learn was many of the things that we are talking about all the time here at Mothers You Know are about boundaries, and I just never put the word boundary on it. So that was really fun to me to say, that is fun. I'm already teaching that. I already knew that. I just didn't know that the word boundary goes with it because sometimes the word boundary I think it seems big and kind of scary to us we're not quite sure what that means we you need a boundary there you need to put up a boundary you know all those kinds of things and so we yeah if we don't and we kind of I guess in a way feel uncomfortable with and sometimes fear what we don't understand right and so that's, I'm so excited she's here today to just help us understand a little bit more about how boundaries can bring us more joy and more success in our lives with our relationships. And I'm so several of the women that have been participating in the class are also coming today to kind of help out a little bit. And I would like you, ladies who are here to participate, to also be considering some of the things they'll be considering. So one of the things that that I've asked them to come, yeah, Ashley and I have just kind of said, this might be cool for them to come with maybe a little bit of a, you know, like, what's a wondering or a question that you have for you personally about applying boundaries in your own life? And so maybe... As you're listening to Ashley today, if you'll just be considering, yeah, what are some of the things I'm wondering about in my own personal circumstances as she's sharing and maybe jot that down and then we can discuss it because we're going to have her present and then have a Q&A so you can have your questions answered or say, could I just pose this? But another thing I've asked these women, share some of their takeaways of participating in this boundaries class and i've come with my my stuff too my takeaways but yeah you know what ashley before you get started will you just really introduce yourself because you're just so much more than we said
1: introducing myself is hard (laughs) i did just finish my internship so i'm licensed in the state of utah as an associate clinical mental health clinician now and feeling very good about that that's exciting for me personal accomplishment I have been working with Life Changing Services for about a year and a half. I started running one of their worth groups when my internship started about a year and a half ago. But then prior to that, I also worked in their mentor-led groups that they had. And so I've been um, just running groups and getting to know people and learning new things for a couple of years with Life Changing Services. And I love it. I've discovered that I love boundaries, just like you said. And I think what I love so much about boundaries is exactly what you just. Reiterated with the mothers who know stuff that we use boundaries all the time, every day. They're actually very simple, but this word feels so big and so overwhelming. And sometimes it can feel like it's a, like I'm putting up this wall that's separating things. And so I love talking about boundaries and making them more approachable and more feel like an empowering option rather than this kind of scary walled off option. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So good. It looks like you raised your hand. And that
0: means you mean, you have something to say. I didn't raise my hand. I put in the reactions like a hand clapping. I was oh, is cheering. that what that was? Yeah. For being, you know, re- re- reaching this
2: milestone for herself. That's oh. an awesome accomplishment. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating with
0: her. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That is such a big accomplishment. Thanks. All right. Okay. Yeah. So. We're going to let you just kind of run this meeting the way you would like to facilitate it. Ashley, and just know that myself and the women that I mentioned are here whenever you want to bring it up. And then if you even don't get to us, we can always just chime in at the end, too. So Okay.
1: All right. I, I have a presentation, but I love discussion. So if I'm talking and you have something you'd like to say, please just unmute and jump in. I prefer to discuss. But I also prepared like a presentation just in case you never quite know what the feel is going to be. And we have lots of people on camera today. I'm very excited to see that. So if you have something you would like to jump in and see or talk about or ask, please feel free to do so.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Go for it. All right. Will you
0: let me share my screen? Oh, totally. How are you going to go for it if that's not what you're doing? Right.
1: Here we go. There you go. Okay. So the topic specifically was boundaries can increase our joy and success in relationships. So I will touch on that. But if you have other questions, again, please just feel free to ask those as we go. I wanted to start by just defining the word boundary. So we're all starting from the same understanding of the word. This definition comes from the book Boundaries by Townsend and Cloud, which is an incredible book. And they say, boundaries define us that's essentially what it is they define what is me and what is not me a boundary shows me where i end and someone else begins it leads me to a sense of ownership if i know where my yard begins and ends i am free to do with it what i like taking responsibility for my life opens up many different options in addition to showing us what we are responsible for boundaries help us define what is not our property and what we are not responsible for We are not, for example, responsible for other people. Nowhere are we commanded to have other control, only self-control. And what I like about this definition is the simplicity of it. That boundaries simply help me know who I am and how I'm going to behave and what I am responsible for and what I'm going to not be in charge of because it's actually not my responsibility. And that's where I think the empowerment side of boundaries come from is this sense of ownership that comes with acknowledging and seeing and understanding what I really am in charge of, what I do get to be in control of. I then go a step farther and I define boundaries by three different types. So we have protection boundaries, which are applicable in all situations, safety boundaries, which will adjust for specific situations, and inclusion boundaries, which determine my own behaviors to ensure that I am supporting my value system. So I have two little metaphors. To show these three different types. <laughs> so I'll tell you both of them in case your brain holds onto one better than the other. The first one is imagine you're taking like an elementary age child to the park and you have just as a general rule for your family, the we don't talk to strangers, right? That's going to be our protection boundary. It's applicable in all scenarios. We don't talk to strangers. This is something that will help us stay safe. Then you get to the park and you do kind of a survey of the area. And you realize that on one side of the park, there's kind of a busy road, but there's a sidewalk right in front of that. And then another side of the park, there's like some tree areas that you can't really see into. And then you see where you're going to be sitting and you tell your child, OK, here's the playground. Don't go past that sidewalk. I don't want you over by that busy road. So don't go past the sidewalk and don't go over into those woods, that forest area, because I can't see very well. And then I'll be sitting right here. So don't go behind me. Make sure you stay where I can see you. Right that general that rule of here's the area, stay right and see you that's our safety boundaries, and that's going to change based on which park we're at. They're not all going to look the same, and so it changes with the the situation and then because you value ensuring that your child is safe, you sit on the bench and you make sure that you are not getting distracted, you're able to see where they're playing, and that you can watch them. and so your personal behaviors of sitting on the bench of putting the phone to the side so that you can make sure that you're really watching as they are doing these things. That's your inclusion boundaries, how you choose to behave in, within the scenario to make sure that you're withholding that value of keeping your kids safe. So there's one example, same words, safety, protection, and inclusion, but applied in a slightly different way. So thinking about like sports, all sports have rules that tend to be applicable to all sports, like out of bounds. Whether it's basketball, whether it's golf, whether it's track, there are specific areas that we are that we stay within, right? So that's our one second. I'm a single mom of two and one is home right now. So give me just one second.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that. I meant to grab that out, grab that thought too and say, and you're a mom, but I forgot. So
1: good. Yep. And the one that's home is four. So she might need some more attention as we go throughout our meeting. So sports have that, that basic rule that can be applied to all situations. So that's going to be the protection boundary. And then within each sport, there's going to be those sport specific rules. So whether you hit the ball with a racket or your foot or your hand, whether there's no ball at all, and you're just running or you're all of those sport specific rules are safety boundaries that within that sport, there's specific rules. And then how you choose to behave is your inclusion boundaries. So if I show up at a tennis match and I choose to play the tennis match as if it were tackle football, like if I were to just run over to the other side and tackle someone, well, that's not actually going to be helpful for the scenario, but I still, still do get to choose how I'm going to behave within it. So my inclusion boundary is now that I'm here and this is the scenario that we're living within, this is how I'm going to play. I'm going to play by the tennis expectations because I'm playing a tennis match right now. So those are inclusion boundaries. Any thoughts or questions on just the definition of boundaries and those three different types?
0: Mm -hmm. I just just love that you said it again. Because I'm like, now I'm even smarter. I got it even better that time.
3: Yeah, but to, to me, it sounded like that the protection boundary is boundaries sort of on the outside of the circumstance. And then the safety boundary is within the circumstance and then the inclusion is just your action. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Wow. Yep, I love that. Outside the circumstance, within the circumstance, how I will behave. Absolutely. Brilliant. I'm writing that down because I really liked that that description. <laughs> One second. I was like, geez, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Ashley, could you show that slide again that you had with those three definitions, please? Absolutely. So the question always then is how do we know when we need to implement a boundary? That tends to come up after we've discussed the definition. Then it's okay. I can understand that there's these different types, but how do I even know when to do it? So I want to acknowledge that that question's there, where we're going to step back just a little bit and talk about the purpose of boundaries. I have decided that all boundaries, really, when it comes down to it, they're most effective when they're used to prioritize our connection with the spirit. And in order to explain that, I want to talk about some other truths that maybe we don't talk about as much, but are real. So a couple of weeks ago, I was at a state conference and the person who was leading that state conference, he was talking about the organization of the church and how we have a prophet who's foreseeing the world. And then it's organized into thousands or 10,000s and thousands and hundreds and tens and ones all the way down to where we have ministering assignments that's just one or two people one person looking over those one or two people and we saw that set up even in our recent come follow me lessons in the old testament where we see moses get suggested that perhaps he should organize it in that way right and this area 70 that was speaking he said why wouldn't we assume that the adversary this seven thousand year old genius who's been here and studying and aware why wouldn't we assume that he is equally organized with his servants and that he has specific people, specific minions, however you want to call them, assigned to watch over us? And it's kind of a disconcerting idea. So I want to acknowledge that we might be uncomfortable with acknowledging that perhaps there are minions specifically assigned to watch over us. But we see all throughout scriptures and all throughout even recent conferences where Satan is acknowledged to be able to have an influence in our world. So, like in DNC chapter 10, we read, Verily, verily I say unto you that Satan has great hold upon their hearts. He stirreth them up to iniquity against that which is good. So somehow he's able to stir. He stirs the pot, he gets things going, right? And in 2 Nephi we read, And behold, others he flattereth the way, and he telleth them that there is no hell, and he saith unto them, I am no devil for there is none. And thus he whispereth in their ears until he grasps them with his awful change. chains. This idea that he can whisper to us and that he doesn't want to be identified as whispering to us, I think is important that we acknowledge. He says, I am no devil. I'm just your thoughts. I'm just throwing this in here, right? But he's, he's right there whispering. And then in general conference, just recently, we see him acknowledged all over the place. So In April, our prophet said, one of our greatest challenges today is to distinguish between the truths of God and the counterfeits of Satan. And then there have been a number, but I chose Elder Bednar from 2018, where he says, Satan is the enemy of righteousness all those who seek to do the will of God. All day, every day, his only intent and sole purpose are to make the sons and daughters of God miserable like unto himself. The devil labors to make the sons and daughters of God confused and unhappy, to hinder their eternal progression, The adversary works relentlessly to attack the elements of the father's plan that he hates the most. And then Elder Bednar continues. And the conclusion that I drew is that one of the things Satan hates the most is women, that he really does not like all that we represent and all of the good that we can do. So acknowledging that there is this entity in the room, that Satan is there and he is working on us relentlessly, as Elder Bednar says, I think is important. And something that I run into often when I say this is people not wanting to have that be a thing because if Satan is influencing them, then they must be doing something wrong. So I want to start by saying that's not true. Just because Satan whispereth in our ears doesn't mean that we are somehow unworthy or choosing bad things or falling into temptations. And the proof being like Moses, he was talking with God face to face and seconds later was talking with Satan face to face. He was not. He did not somehow make a choice in between those two um, experiences that made him unworthy so that Satan was influencing him. It's simply because Satan is always right there influencing us. And then Christ, Christ interacts with Satan regularly, but we know him to be perfect and we know him to be the one (laughs) that doesn't fall into temptation. So just because we acknowledge that there is this opportunity for Satan to whisper in our ears and stir into our hearts doesn't mean that we are doing something bad or that we are unworthy. But I think we have to acknowledge that that happens. In order for my statement earlier about boundaries are most successful when they're there to prioritize our connection with the spirit, makes sense. That if Satan is working relentlessly on us, then we should be working relentlessly to annoyingly prioritize our connection with the spirit. And I think that's where boundaries come in is acknowledging my reality, what's going on, where's my life at right now, how am I feeling right now, and what do I do in all of these scenarios to just annoyingly prioritize that the spirit can and will be present in the situation. Any discomfort with this piece real quick? What are you experiencing? Or anyone who's been in our classes for the last few weeks, has this been something that you've taken away? What thoughts have you been having on this?
0: Yeah, it's got something I can tell.
4: I think the clarification, and I'm sure you stressed this before, but the clarification that boundaries work best with the spirit really made an impact right now for me. Because I think, for, for me, boundaries is scary, because of how I've been treated in the past. I think a boundary sometimes is saying no. And I think sometimes when I've said no in the past, how I've been treated. And it's been hurtful and scary. And so, and and I think one of the things that the adversary likes us to do is feel some guilt and shame when we're exercising boundaries. And it's getting over that and recognizing that I, I, if if doing it with the spirit and being able to be still and being able to be calm being able to maybe have some uh, you know, a little bit of anxiety but knowing that there's a true principle behind it or that there's, you know go- it's all gospel based and then, you know, you're not asking anything that's not reasonable and you're, you're not being putative and you're not being punishing, you know, kind of thing, that to be able to stand firm and then let the Lord help with that. And I know that probably wasn't that clear, but and I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit rambling, but it, it does bring a lot of anxiety up for me because of
1: past trauma. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you brought this up. You weren't rambling at all. The... The anxiety that can come with the word boundary, especially if we've attempted boundaries in the past and they were either unsuccessful or had some like fallout that happened, can be uncomfortable, right? It's not something that we want to address or approach because it's just, it it could lead to difficult scenarios. And so I'm glad that you brought that up and acknowledged it. And yes, this idea that boundaries are simply to prioritize my connection with the spirit to make sure that I'm in a place where I can have that. Because I acknowledge that there's relentless attackings from the devil coming. So I have to feel the spirit. Makes it less about how can I punish you for your behavior if I'm setting up a boundary with another person and more about what can I do to make sure that I have the spirit regardless of your behavior. Mm
5: -hmm. So good. I was just wanted to say that I've had struggles with boundaries because I felt that they've been selfish or. You know, I've always been taught to put other people first. And anyway, I just really like how you said it's a matter of getting the spirit for you. And that that just feels freeing to hear that I can, if, you know, I'm choosing the better good. If I had the spirit with me, I can do more good than if I'm just trying to please the person in front of me and make them happy. So I, it helps me to, you know, stand up for myself when i feel like boundaries sometimes that word
1: makes me feel selfish or uh, has selfishness associated with it yes i think often boundaries can be hard to understand from someone who's on the outside who isn't you right and often they can be misinterpreted as selfish behaviors and so i love the acknowledgement of sometimes it feels difficult to talk about boundaries with even just with myself because i don't want to be selfish and especially in a culture that prioritizes so highly service of others and awareness of others and charity for others that stopping to take care of myself for a second or put up a boundary that might cause some distance between me and others can feel almost counterintuitive. And I think that's something that's a discussion worth having. One of our podcasts that we recorded is all about having boundaries within service and how to navigate that dynamic of wanting to serve, being willing to serve, following the cultural ideal of serving, while also simultaneously being able to honor yourself and acknowledge where where your boundaries, where your limits are of what you can and cannot do. That's definitely something worth having a conversation about.
2: Did you have a comment? Yes, I did. I recently oh I really I recently had to uh, set some boundaries and I know being a part of this it helped me it doesn't make it easy but it i know it was the right thing with my my some of you know how i i had an infection that ended up it was two different teeth and it ended up closing my airway and i was on a ventilator for two weeks and then in the regular room for a week and it was a miracle that i made it and coming home it's been i i have the nurse and then physical therapist and occupational therapist and that my young girl is 16 and we hadn't set good boundaries with her and she easily manipulated situations because of me being divorced and and everything that's happened this past year And, and I would feel guilt that that dad didn't care for her and he would state that well, for a year he didn't have contact with her but it came to I ended up getting my cellulitis because of the stress and and I had to make the choice and I prayed a lot and my answer was that she needed to go and live with her dad right now and and I felt so torn inside because that you know the adversary telling you you're a failure and you're your failure, you can't even handle taking care of your, your child, you know, all those things that he puts in your head. Um, but then, you know, as I kept praying, my father kept saying, if you want to live, because they told, it scared me when I went to the doctor again, and they said, this will kill you, you've made it this far, you've been a miracle from the hospital, but this will kill you because of all the different antibiotics that I've been on and everything, and just like, oh, my white blood count as well. When they told me that, I I thought of my mom helped me in thinking of my other kids, and she's like, "What, what good would it be if you weren't there anymore for any of them?" And you need to sacrifice, right? You know, and your ex needs to step up. And he got a year break, a year and a half break need to step up and have him care for her. And it was really challenging with him because he didn't. At first, he said yes, and then two days later, he changed his mind, and he was saying no because they have hurt. He's living with the girlfriend, and she gets her children every other week. And he was saying, no, because I don't want her to influence them. And I, he was worried about her children. And I kept saying, they're your kids. <laughs> this is your daughter. And it was it was a big battle to I, I had to say, no, you will take her. I, I had to set the boundary of you or her dad, you will take her. That's just it. You told me the seventh and that's what by the seventh and it'll be that setting that boundary it's it was a real i know that you helped in that because that for me is extremely hard to i've been the primary for all my children and so to not have her here um, it has been less stressful but it's still the mom and you that misses your, child even when they're not doing the things that you like. But I do know and have the comfort that I know it's is the right thing and I have to trust in that and push out the thoughts that the adversary keeps pushing it and know that I am a daughter of God and he still needs me to do other things too. And and that maybe with this experience he My ex will finally learn to love her. And and so maybe that's a blessing, there's a miracle that'll come with this. But I'm so grateful for learning more about boundaries so that I, I can learn to heal myself at the same time. So
1: thank you. Thank you for sharing what a hard situation you faced and trying to navigate those waters. It just sounds so hard. And I love how you talked about. You prayed about it and felt what to do from the spirit and followed that. And then you also acknowledged so many different things that the adversary sends our way, specifically some thoughts into our minds. One of the things that Maurice teaches is that Satan's sole purpose and focus is to destroy God's children, including individuals, marriages, and families. While Satan primarily distracts and attacks men through temptation, one of his most powerful tools of the attack on women comes through mental torment and your description of some of the torment that you've experienced. I have a couple words up here, but one of the ones that you said was that you're a failure. And earlier, someone talked about that torment of you're being so selfish when you're putting up boundaries and stuff and acknowledging that he sends these things our way. Nothing will ever change, you will never be enough. Did you really think it would be different? You're a burden, why even try? What were you thinking? People don't like you, your kids hate you, you don't fit in, you're alone, you're a terrible mom. These thoughts, when we take Satan out of the equation, We end up taking responsibility for these things. And I like how Maurice, he'll talk about, if you were to sit down, clear-headed, and make a plan for the thoughts you want to have today, are these the thoughts you would plan for? Like, at 11 o'clock, I would really want to tell myself that my kids will hate me. At 1130, I'm going to say that I'm a burden. No, these aren't thoughts that we would bring into our mind. The reason they're coming to our mind is because Satan likes to torment us. And he has the minion that knows exactly which one of these is going to be our perfect lie that's going to make it really hard to function. And so he attacks us through these and we have to acknowledge that he's there. We have to acknowledge that he plays a part in the things that are happening. As we come to accept and acknowledge his presence, then we're able to to see it and we're able to battle it, which we'll talk about with how to use our boundaries to do that but we have to see them. And so I just loved what you were saying. You talked about push out, pushing out the thoughts that Satan puts into your mind and you gave appropriate credit to where that torment is coming from. So well done. Good job. That's definitely something to be aware of. Acknowledge that he's there and that he does whisper in our minds and he stirs up our hearts and paying attention to those sensations. Did you have a comment? Hi,
6: thank you. So when I would love an example of how To declare a boundary, what specific language do you recommend? Do I use an I statement? Do I have to say please? (laughs) You know, so for me, it would be kind of helpful if you could just kind of maybe give me some some language there.
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm going to continue on to our next few slides because in a couple slides, I have an opportunity for us to practice vocalizing some boundaries. And then if after that you still have this question, please say it again, and I'll make sure that we come in and give you the language that you're looking for. Okay, so talking or thinking specifically about the topic of increasing joy and success in our lives and our relationships, I wanted to use that as a way to give some examples of how we set boundaries, what boundaries even look like. So I wanted to look at the boundary of feeling joy. Of experiencing joy, so I started this by studying in the scriptures about joy. So we're going to look at a couple of scriptures that mention joy, and as we read through these scriptures, I've identified what that scripture says brings joy, and then we'll look at the list of all of the scriptures what they say. We'll see how all of them, and we're going to try to apply them into safety, protection, or inclusion boundaries. And they're going to be different for everyone. There's not going to be any wrong type of boundary. It's just going to be what works what it's feeling like for you. So as we read these scriptures, think about if you can identify a safety, a protection, or an inclusion boundary in these scriptures. So first, in Luke chapter 10, we read, And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I paid attention to the word joy up in verse 17. The 70 returned to him with joy. And the reason they had joy was because even the devils are subject unto them. So what brings joy in this particular scripture? Having power over Satan. That's what was bringing joy. That's what was filling it there. Then we see... Slide is a little crazy, but there are three on here. So I'll start with Galatians chapter five, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. So this scripture, what brings us joy? Having the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is joy. So having the spirit brings joy. In d chapter 11, verse 13, we read, verily, verily, I say unto you, I will impart unto you of my spirit, which shall enlighten your mind and fill your soul with joy. So again, what brings us joy in this one? Having the spirit. That's going to bring us some joy. Alma 22, verse 15 reads, And it came to pass that after Aaron had expounded these things unto him, the king said, What shall I do that I may have this eternal life of which thou hast spoken? Yea, what shall I do that I may be born of God, having this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast, and receive his spirit that I may be filled with joy, that I may not be cast off at the last day, Behold, he said, I will give up all that I possess. Yea, I will forsake my kingdom that I may receive this great joy. But Aaron said to him, if thou desirest this thing, thou wilt bow down before God. Yea, and if thou wilt repent of all thy sins and bow before God and call on his name in faith, believing ye shall receive, then shall you receive the hope which thou desirest. So what I picked out of that was what brings joy? First, receiving the Spirit. It says, I want to receive his Spirit that I may be filled with joy. And then he wants to give up and repent in order to have that great joy. So I have receiving the spirit and repentance are what I identified in here are things that bring joy. And then we have three more. So Mosiah chapter four says, and it came to pass that after they had spoken these words, the spirit of the Lord came upon them and they were filled with joy, having received remission of their sins and having peace of conscience because of the exceeding faith which they had in Jesus Christ who should come according to the words which King Benjamin had spoken unto them. So, in this verse, what brings joy? Repentance. Alma chapter 29 says, Yea, and I know that good and evil have come before all men, that he may knoweth not, he that knoweth not good from evil is blameless. But he that knoweth good and evil, to him it is given according to his desires, whether he desireth good or evil, life or death, joy or remorse. This one was interesting to me. So, what brings joy? A desire. When I know between good and evil, it is given to me according to my desires, whether I want joy or remorse. And then my last one for us to look at is DNC chapter 18. It says, and how great is his joy in the soul that repenteth?" And then it continues on about how great your joy can be. But what brings joy there is repentance. So when you look at those seven scriptures, we have having a power over Satan, Having the spirit was said three times. Repentance was said three times. And a desire for joy was said once. So thinking about if I'm hoping to have more joy in my life and the different types of boundaries, protection applicable to all scenarios, safety adjusted for a specific situation, or inclusion, ensuring my own behaviors are within my value system. What can I do? What boundaries can I put into my life? In order to have more, jo- what thoughts do you guys have? As you read this list, I will give you a moment to contemplate, read through them, and identify if this feels like protection, safety, or inclusion. And then if you will just unmute and voice and say, I think this is protection. And I will probably ask you the question of why? Like, how would you state that as a boundary? Just to give you a chance to practice verbalizing what you would do to have that boundary of having more joy.
7: I just, I've I've been thinking about this. So one of the things that i came with after this other class that we just had was, you know, a boundary of knowing there's only one enemy, right? And so I'm like, okay, that would bring me so much more joy if I can recognize, number one, like you said, that Satan is the enemy and the only enemy because I've, my joy is stolen really quickly when he makes me see somebody else as the enemy. But in that, I was thinking about it. I was like, my question, it's actually my question, because sometimes I've thought so long that someone is my enemy, someone else, that when I go to try to believe, I can't, it's almost like my brain just automatically goes there, that they're my enemy again. And I'm, so I'm like, how, what ways, what things can we do to actually leave a, a true boundary for myself when. My thoughts have done it for so long. I kind of feel like I believe that they really are the enemy. So when I start to write down ways they're not, it, it's hard. Like it feels like I don't believe that or something. So anyway, that was one of my questions. Maybe later you can address,
1: but this was awesome. No, let's talk about it. One of the things this one says about bringing joy is having power over Satan, who is our enemy. Right. So as you're describing this, my th- your thoughts are just going straight to where they've been kind of trained to go they're following that same neuropathway that's been built getting it to change to a different neuropathway is different which we Sorry. see I don't maybe this is just me but things like if I wake up on a Tuesday I, I take my daughter to school and it looks like this and I drive this right. direction but in the summer when I wake up on a Tuesday and I need to go grocery shopping I still end up at my daughter's school <laughs> if I'm not purposely like making sure I remember where I'm driving today. I don't get to the grocery store. I get to school because my brain just, this is the habit that we're in. This is what we just do. And so just shifting the thought patterns is going to be even harder than one that has that physical representation. So a boundary you might need is something with an inclusion boundary. What are you going to do daily, hourly, however often you need to remember it, to purposely identify an individual as not being the enemy and the adversary and his distortions that he's thrown at you as enemy and his tactics and start building that pathway purposefully. What do you think? Yeah. So meaning
7: just re- keep reminding yourself by practicing the true thoughts so that your brain can eventually get there too. So even if you don't start believing them, you don't believe them right now, start doing things that can help
1: Eventually, to say so you do believe them. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's not. So, okay. if we were to word it formally, which I think is important, and then have it written down somewhere because that physical representation helps our brain remember, it could be something to the effect of I believe there is only one enemy, and I strive to treat others not as my enemy. To help me remember this, I have a reminder on my phone. Every two and a half hours, how is the enemy distorting this right now? Whatever phrase you need to know, right? So, okay, this is how I'm going to remember it. And here's my boundary: is that I look at this remembering tool this often to help me build that truth into myself. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Could you could you repeat it one more time? Oh, repeat the boundary. Would you do that? Okay. Thank Starting you. with those pieces that i know to be true so i believe that there's only one enemy and that other people are not my enemy so to help me remember this i will and then i have like a reminder app on my phone i have two things that it reminds me of and one is sporadically throughout the day and one is specifically timed to when i tend to fight that particular thought battle with satan he just goes up on my phone and it tells, it says the things that I need to remember. Maurice often says that our battle is less between choosing good and evil and more between remembering and forgetting. And so the way we fight our battles is by purposely designing into our lives something that will help us remember our value system, remember the boundaries that we have for ourselves. So whether it's a sticky note on your fridge, I will remember that I only have one enemy by putting a sticky note on my door and saying it out loud every time I leave the house by having a reminder on my phone and repeating it out loud every time it comes, just to begin to build that pathway in my brain. I didn't repeat it word for word because I'm not very good at that, but hopefully that was enough of a repeat to help. Thanks. Yep. You're raising your hand.
5: Yes. Thank you. I absolutely love that. I want to use that. And I, I was hoping it would be okay if I Threw out a suggestion with it because, for me, when it's a one person, especially like, and and I will just admit for me it was someone I was also trying to forgive because there was a lot of traumatic experiences early on in my life, and so I also purposely went and listed every positive thing that I could see about that person, and not and then on top of that I even wrote down good memories with them and just went and focused on the good. And that helped me also see, okay, they're not the enemy. And you know what? they probably doing the best thing. It just, I don't, I don't know if, if that's helpful, just to yeah. kind of also throw something in there to
1: also help those thoughts along. When we, thank you, when we remember that our boundaries are there to help us connect with the spirit, where I'm gonna, sorry, I'm just gonna keep working on this specific scenario. I forgot who even brought it up, but I'm sorry that we're just going to keep hashing out your boundary. That So this specific scenario, seeing the other person as the enemy, boy, that's going to foster contention awfully quick. And contention is of the devil. We're told that one straight out, right? So purposely choosing to not see another person as the enemy so that I can prioritize my connection with the spirit instead of falling into that trap of contention shows my exact, like, this is what my boundary is going to be. However, I think it's important to also acknowledge that sometimes the spirit is going to say that person is not exhibiting safe behaviors right now. And so as we are adjusting our thoughts, as we're watching for those ones that are coming in to attack, if we are connected with the spirit, we can discern this is just Satan coming in to help me make somebody else the enemy and foster that spirit of contention. Not going to do that. I'm going to connect with the spirit. Versus oh, the spirit's letting me know right now that this person's behaviors are not okay and that I should withdraw and make sure that I can just stay safe with the spirit. Because if I don't have the spirit or if the person I'm trying to communicate to doesn't have the spirit, I don't try to communicate anymore because Satan will be right there. The second one of us doesn't have the spirit, he's gonna be distorting things. So watching for those different ways. I like monitoring our thoughts and ensuring that our thoughts stay positive But personally, I was in an abusive relationship far too long because I only focused on the positive and I didn't allow the spirit to warn me and let me know when there was an issue. And so we can't just only see positive. We have to see what the spirit's there and he'll give us a heads up. He'll give us warning. We can discern if the spirit is going to be able to be present as we're interacting with this person or if it's not. And that will help us know what our behaviors can be in those scenarios.
3: Okay. Do I need? Yeah. Do you mind if I give an example? I just want to give a good example from from my life. Not good for you, but something that I noticed that really has helped me a lot It's for probably over a year and a half. Every night when I would go to bed and I would walk up the stairs with my daughter, she did not want me to hug her or touch her or anything. And so in my mind, all I could think was, "She hates me. I'm such a bad mother." All this stuff. And so I put a reminder in my phone and it pops up and tells me, hug your daughter today. Satan hates that, right? Just a reminder that that is something I can do to, you know, release the power of Satan from my life, but also connect with my daughter. And in the beginning, it was really challenging because she didn't actually want me to hug her. And I would just tell her, I really need to hug someone. And so I would just hug her. And it took over a year and a half to get to where now she will come to my bedroom door. If I have somehow thought she went to bed already and I missed the hug, she'll come and knock on my door and say, you forgot to hug me tonight. And so when you're talking about the boundaries, I feel like it's like when Karen teaches about owning our field, we know that that's going to come up. It's going to be bothersome to us that our child's going to think we don't love them or whatever. And so if you purposely put something in place to where you are controlling the field, you're controlling those feelings by putting your own action into it. And in the end, you made an intentional effort to shift it. And you took the power back. And so I just appreciate starting to realize that the boundaries are things that are going to help us to take better action instead of boundaries of what we don't want other people to do. Because I could sit all day long thinking, my daughter should come and hug me. But if I take the, make the decision to go hug her, then she feels that I accept her for who she is. And then she can be more proactive
1: as well herself. And no, I'm not her enemy. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for sharing. I love your reminder system to help you know. I love that you created your boundary with the spirit because that specific boundary is not going to be applicable to every person. In other scenarios, that exact one wouldn't be helpful. And so the fact that you were able to, with the spirit, find one that would be helpful just for you in your scenario and what you're battling. I love the acknowledgement that That Satan really doesn't want us to experience joy. He wants us to be miserable like unto himself. And so even the thought of, here's all of the proof. She doesn't want to hug me. She doesn't want to touch me. So clearly she hates me. That's going to be a distortion, right? Because that's bringing that like misery. And so acknowledging when that attack was coming, putting in a reminder to help you stay connected with the spirit and follow that. And yes, that owning your field, that's exactly what boundaries are. How am I going to behave that? What's the word like the energy, the spirit warrior? What's your term, Karen? The one of the feel of the room. Atmosphere angel. Atmosphere, the atmosphere angel. All of that is boundaries. How am I going to behave? What kind of feeling will I have regardless of how everyone else is so that I'm making sure that my atmosphere around me has a certain feel? All of those are beautiful inclusion boundaries. All
6: right, sorry, I was moving. <laughs> All right, so what's a good example of a of a protection boundary? So like let's say if I have a kiddo come home, which I do, and he's he's a teenager and he's really rude. You know, he comes in very demanding, turns off the music and starts talking to his sister really rude. Like what is a good would you call that a protection boundary? Would you talk call that a safety boundary? But what are some what's some good lingo I could say there where it's like if you're going to come home for lunch I need you to be kind and respectful or I don't
1: want you to come home for lunch like how how would you handle that I think it could take a couple different dynamics right there's definitely a protection boundary opportunity there of in our home we treat people with respect period that's That's a rule, a family rule. Here's our protection boundary. In our home, we prioritize being able to feel the spirit. So we're not going to behave in ways that's driving the spirit away. General rule, set it up during family council kind of boundary. The safety boundary is going to be when he comes home in his different moments, being able to identify where he's at. So often, (laughs) this might not be applicable to everyone, but you can almost sense the mood. Like they don't even necessarily have to say a word, just the way that they closed the door, right? is going to give you some indicator of what their mood is. So if he comes in in a specific mood, your safety boundary could be, hey, family, when we have someone in our family who's in a struggle of a mood, we do not take responsibility for their behavior. We do not take responsibility for their feelings, So rather than come in and try to solve the feelings and try to fix it or try to convince him to be otherwise, we will all just, and then that's where our inclusion boundary is. We will not be in the same room because we want to be able to feel the spirit without that antagonistic kind of energy. We will shift. We will blast this song at the top of the speaker and whatever, right, whatever's going to work for you and your family. So the safety boundary will shift because some days he might come home and be, in a perfectly fine mood. So I'm not going to have a boundary of every day when he comes home from lunch, I'm going to leave the room. So that's where the safety is going to be is depending on the day, we might shift what's happening. And then the inclusion boundary is what you personally will be doing. And we can communicate that in like a family council where the spirit is present. We might say something to the effect of keeping our home a place where the spirit of God can reside is top priority. We do this by respecting each other verbally, mentally, emotionally, et cetera. If someone comes home and is unable to be respectful, we will blank and come up with your family solution. Do you have, I'm I'm trying to think of mine. I have a go-to song that I turn on because it always helps my mood. And if I can keep my mood okay, then I don't really care if somebody else is upset. I also acknowledge that other people get to have emotions. So when my daughter is in an upset mood, she gets to have an upset mood. I decide whether or not I'm going to be in that room with her at that moment. I'm decide whether or not I'm going to attempt to convince her otherwise. But I have days where I'm upset, so I allow her to have days where she's upset as well. And I just focus on what I can control in those moments. Did that help anything?
6: <laughs> it did, you know. And I and I don't mean for this to sound like a power play, but there's a part of me that feels like he should be the one to go. (laughs) Like if he's the one that's being a stinker, I don't want to leave my kitchen. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to be the one to like stop what I'm doing. I want him to recognize that, you know, he's being rude and he can go out to lunch and he can not come home and get through from the bridge. I don't know. I mean, I just, and I just feel like I want to really firm boundary there.
1: There's, Follow the spirit, defer to what the spirit tells you. Here are my thoughts. There's this fine line with children, specifically teenagers, of forcing them to do what I want because it makes much more sense if they do what I want and allowing them to make their own decisions. Kids start off completely codependent. We have to do everything for them. And then we slowly make this shift into independence. With an independent person, we cannot control their behavior. We can't. It doesn't matter how much I tell them to leave. If they choose not to leave, they won't leave. And so you can verbalize something to the effect of, hey, you're in a bummer of a mood and you're being disrespectful to everyone. And that's not okay in our home. Please go eat lunch somewhere else. And then he can respect that, which would be great, and leave and go eat lunch somewhere else. Or he could choose not to respect that, which if he's in one of those moods, I'm going to guess he's not going to respect that. So you go, he's in a bummer of a mood. I'm going to go out to eat lunch somewhere. And he's not invited today, right? And you get to do that. But then the teen thing of trying to find that line of independence, but also needing to know that mom loves me always. I think personally approach this how the spirit directs you. I would say something to the effect of, I can see today you're having a hard time being respectful. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with people yelling at me or people calling my daughter names, et cetera, et cetera. I love you very much. I'm going to go eat lunch somewhere else. Hopefully tomorrow we can have lunch together because I miss you type of thing. And then I would go somewhere else.
6: So the boundaries always placed on me. It's
1: not really placed on them. It's something I choose to do. A hundred percent. We can make requests. We're, we can always make requests. Hey, in this space, we behave this way. Here's my request for you and your behavior. But we, can't, we don't get to control other people's behaviors. So where our boundaries really come in is what will I do if they choose not to uphold it? And making the request gives us important information about where they're at psychologically. If they're able to hear the request and follow through and respect the boundary, then we know they're just struggling right now. right? Like It was just a minute, but they're still gonna be respectful. It's still gonna be, okay, we can come back at a different angle. But if we make a request and they don't honor that request, a boundary is only a boundary if I have something I'm going to do. OK, with independent people. And again, there's that there's that line, because as children age, they're moving from codependence to dependence to independence. And so depending on the stage of development that he's at, it would look slightly different. But if he's old enough to drive, he's probably at that age of like, I'm about to graduate and be fully independent. I'm trying to push some lines here that I would make my boundaries all about my behavior. I'd put in a request, hey, in our home, we treat people with respect. And if you're unable to respect us, I'm going to go eat lunch somewhere else. But I miss you and I love you. And I hope tomorrow we can have lunch together. Is what I would do.
0: Thanks. Do you think it would be appropriate in a time, well, I guess a time
1: like that or any other time where we put a parameter like these are certain things that we've given you as you know, part of our family when you are respectful, but if this continues, then
2: this thing will be removed for a time.
1: Don't you think that's appropriate as well? Absolutely. Yeah. As directed by the spirit, if there are those uh, privileges that don't have to be afforded to an individual and you, your family, the dynamic that you set up there allows for a boundary to include hey, this privilege is only something you get to have, like eating lunch with me is only something you get to have when you're behaving in a respectful manner, then it could absolutely be phrased and worked in that way as well. With the acknowledgement that, especially with teenagers, they're going to want to push boundaries. Mm -hmm. So you're going to need to know exactly how you will respond when that boundary is pushed. I will go eat lunch by myself. I will lock the cell phone in the safe. I will. And then there will be fallout. There will be pushback because people, especially people who have been benefiting from a lack of boundaries, don't want boundaries to happen. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, being able to be in control of my own behavior and how that feels will teach them that they have that control as well and lead to good things. Boundaries are important. Boundaries are God like. We see it all throughout the scriptures. He tells us listen, if you want to live with me, I would love that. Here are the boundaries for living with me, right? We see that from him. And I think it's perfectly fine to say, hey, you want to have X, Y, Z. I would love that. Here are the expectations in order to have that afforded into your life. I hope you can do it. I believe that you can, but I'm going to let you choose. I love that because then you still are allowing them to own their emotions and they get to work that out. But they get to also understand that there is a consequence to behaving in ways that are inappropriate. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes that consequence is simply, I'm not going to eat with you today. (laughs) It's not something I'm going to do. Right? Yeah. Sometimes the consequence is, well, you don't get to have this today. This is something that people who are exhibiting trustworthy behavior get to have. Trustworthy behavior looks like this. I love you. I'm happy to teach you some more and work with you. I'm happy to whatever. This is, that's something that's a, a privilege based on this kind of behavior.
0: Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Ashley, I just have to say in the last little recording we did for our boundaries podcast, you mentioned something about Maurice and what he found out about what his wife was doing to respond appropriately with their son. And we've often heard because he comes for Q&As here about how difficult it was for him to parent, you know, his, his son. Right. And so we hear about that here and there, but we've never heard that, what you mentioned. And I think it's so appropriate right now. So I just wanted to say, could you just tell that?
1: Sure. Okay. I heard this story from Maurice in the Memoirs of an LDS therapy podcast, Therapist Podcast. So I was just listening to it and he was talking about the inclusion boundary of predetermining my responses is where it led to. But he was talking about this experience where he was walking past his son's bedroom and his wife was there talking with him and something had happened that had led, there was some inciting incident that had led to this conversation. And so he just stood by the door and listened to his wife navigate this conversation and was so impressed with how she was able to stay within her value systems of behavior. She didn't scream. Maybe that was outside of her value system. She she stayed in control. She stayed composed. She maintained her dignity. But while simultaneously being firm and loving, and he was just so impressed. And so after this conversation, he pulled her aside and said, you have such a gift. You've got this innate ability to handle your son in a way that I don't have. And I'm so impressed by it. And in the podcast, he says she kind of rolled her eyes like she was a little bit upset that he wouldn't imply that. And out from under the bed, she pulled out a three inch wide three ring binder and opened it up. And inside this three ring binder were pages and pages of her practicing her parenting style. So it was, he'll say this. I'll say this. He'll say this. I'll respond. He'll say this. I'll respond. Oh, I don't like where that went. Try again. He'll say this. I'll say this. He'll say this. I'll say this. Just over and over and over purposely practicing so that she could show up as the parent she wanted to be to the child who needed her in a certain way, that it wasn't a skill she just innately had. It was something she was purposely bringing into her life so that she could do that. She could show up the way that she was wanting to show up. And she practiced it over and over and was a little insulted that Maurice would assume this was just something she had done, something that she'd done naturally. She's like, no, this takes hard work. Here's the proof. Here's all of my practicing in order to help me know exactly what to say. And it's that same idea of building those pathways In the moment, in the heat of it, our brain doesn't know what to do except follow the path. It's always followed. And so when we can be out of the heat of the moment and begin to build new pathways for our brain to follow new boundaries that we are going to live within outside of that, of that heated time, then they're there. And so now our brain can start to go, oh, no, I'm going to the grocery store. <laughs> this is actually the path I'm going to take. Oh, I went too far. And it might sometimes go down the wrong path, but once they've already been built, then they're there. So in the moment, we can follow them. I love that so, so much.
2: Now I know what I'm going to do regarding with my, with my daughter that's living with her dad now, because right now he was scared, but she's, she's buying her a lot of things. And he, he's, I guess, and he's buying her love. And of course she's like, woohoo, you know, yay, I'll accept it. And, but her her reactions or responses to me. I don't want to get angry with her. And I I've been trying to figure like I thought, well, I just won't message her at all. But then I also inside my heart it says, I feel you need to still send her that. I love you, still let her know that she matters to you and that you didn't just discard her. And and so I still keep sending the I love you's and then she'll, oh I got this or I got that. And And it hurts me because I wish I could have gotten those things for her too, but I don't want to fight. And so I love this idea of, Mm. I know the questions that she's going to say or the things she's going to say and writing them out. That is just like marvelous to do, to write out how she's, and then that way I can do respond better. And she can see that she's not getting me you know i'm that i well. i'm not letting myself get upset and she also having a positive experience with me
1: yeah.
2: when talking and so thank you that is so awesome thank you for sharing that
1: yeah thanks for caring for reminding us the even just with this scenario remembering that she is not the enemy satan is so if he's sending setting you up to feel contention who is actually doing the distorting here is daughter saying painful things or am I hurt and Satan's assigning blame somewhere, right? And so I love the fact that you can take this tool and predetermine some responses and think through what she'll probably say so that in your conversation, you'll have the opportunity to just celebrate with her what she's experiencing without believing the lies that are coming your way about, ah oh, you're not, you're so terrible. How come you couldn't do that? You're just not enough, blah, 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 that you have a chance in a safe space to go through it with the spirit and identify where the truths and the distortions are. In the chat, we have a comment that says, sometimes the request might have to be repeated day after day in order for them to get it or hear us. The crest might become a broken record and we might need to be prepared for that. Yes, thanks for acknowledging that. The, I want to touch on this for them to get it thing. A really hard piece of ensuring I stay connected with the spirit is acknowledging that even as a parent who is teaching, my role is not to be the teacher, which sounds kind of backwards, but the spirit is the only one who can teach. So if I have accepted as a truth in my life, something that the spirit has brought to me and to my soul, I can verbalize. This is my boundary. Nope. In our home, we behave this way. Nope. If you can not be respectful, you don't. I can verbalize those things that the spirit has brought to me, but I can't be in charge of them getting it or hearing me. Cause that's going to be something that the spirit brings. So if I fiercely protect having the spirit in my home, there will be more opportunities for the spirit to help them get and understand what the spirit needs them to know because they are different than I am. And so even if I want to teach them all of these things from my perspective that I've learned, that's really so cool as our children are moving into independence, they're going to more and more need to hear these things from the spirit. And so until the spirit tells them, hey, the way you're treating your mom is not okay," they're not going to hear it. They're not going to get it. My job is to simply state my specific request, which is, you know what? I'm not okay being treated that way. In our home, we treat people with respect. I love you. Hopefully tomorrow we can have lunch together. I'm going to go. Right. I just I just restate it. Not even for them, just for me. Just for me to know where my boundary is, for me to hold on to a truth that I already set up with the spirit and be able to follow through on that piece, whether or not they hear it, isn't my job. It's just me stating it and reminding it myself. I was gonna say, I think what you just explained for me is what being an atmosphere angel looks like. Yeah. So you you explained that well. Thank you. I, that's how I've internalized it. Does that sound accurate, Karen? What an amstrangelist? Yeah. <laughs> you. Know, I love that you're highlighting that it's going to
0: look different for everyone. It's something that we try to remember to say in here. And I often will remind myself afterwards, I'm not saying that enough. Because our circumstances are all so different, but they're very similar too. Like we're all mm-hmm. trying to figure this out, right? But they're all really different. And the people we're dealing with are so different. And we're different from each other as mothers right and so i can bring me to the, to my circumstance and i can do something that makes sense to me that the spirit would would help me to see and follow through with because it's me you know he, he knows he, i know what your house is i know what you are i know what this is so let me help you but so when we come to things like this like i'm just thinking i'm so grateful Oh, now I'm going to get emotional. I'm just so grateful, Ashley, that you're here because this is so helpful to us. It's really helpful. And also it's so important for us to recognize as we're sharing, you know, we learn so much through the spirit, but it isn't necessarily I'm going to go home and do exactly what she did. Do you know what I mean? Because that worked for her. It's going to be more like I'm going to That the spirit was trying to communicate something to me that I heard off of what she said. Now I need to go confirm this with the Lord to say, okay, this is kind of the direction I was pushed by the spirit. Is this correct for my for my personal boundary, my inclusion boundary, or whatever that I'm working this out? Because I think we kind of like to be told what to do. Right? Here's my problem. This is my child. This is me. Could you please just tell me? what I need to do about it. And yeah, it's so, the spirit is so important and it's very specific to our circumstance.
1: One of the things that I heard you say was knowing who I am and where I am. I'm trying to pull it up. My computer is taking a long time, but it reminds me of that those verses in Corinthians that talk about the body of Christ. And they talk about like, so there's the hand and the foot and the eye, but it would be a problem if the hand said, oh, I wish I were a foot because then I could do the, but if that were happening, then who would be the th- the hands? And so one thing that I think is really important as we prioritize the spirit is discovering those spiritual gifts that we have and using those gifts in what we're doing, whether it's navigating a marriage, navigating a relationship with our kids, navigating something in the workforce. When I know my spiritual gifts from the spirit and I play toward those, Things are going to be a lot easier and more successful for me rather than like bunking my head against something that I'm just not. And if I look at the person next to me on the Zoom screen and I go, You hear that question she just asked? She's so much better than I am. She's such a great mom. I don't compare well to her, blah, blah, blah. That we've got these distortions coming in from Satan where he's just tormenting us. And we end up in this scenario of, of well, if everyone were the feet, who would be the hands, right? That so we, when we acknowledge our role, when we acknowledge our strengths, and when we parent in a way, when we wife in a way, when we co-worker in a way that plays toward our strengths, and our boundaries are around what we can and cannot do as our personal strengths, that's when we're going to start finding that empowerment piece of knowing who I am and really knowing what I can do versus those things that I can't. And not a disparaging can't, not a, oh, I can never do that, but a, actually, you know what, this, this is not my skill, but I can approach it in something that is my skill. Let's take these two, last two comments. All right. what, do you, what do you do with your anger?
6: Like, you know, I mean, you're, you give this boundary and it makes it sound really nice, but when you're in that moment, you're, you're angry and then you're still angry. And I mean, there has to be something that needs to be voiced or spoken to to somebody or because it's a real anger or hurt. I guess it's hurt, sadness. But what do you do with that?
1: Good question. Feelings are our friends. That's my motto. And my friend is there to help me know something. So in the same way, if my friend were to walk in my house right now and I would say, hey there, friend. What are you doing here? I wasn't expecting you right now. We do the same thing with our emotions. So I'm going to use anger. Hey there, anger. I see you here. Wasn't expecting you. What's what are you here for right now? What's going on? And then anger says something to the effect of, "What this person did is not okay," or "What this person is doing is hurtful," or "What's happening here is a problem." Right? And at that point, we use our value system to determine our next behavior. Sometimes it's fully appropriate to use that message in that moment. But other times we go, you're right, anger, I can see that. But right now I need to just extend love. I will come back and address this issue, but to get through this moment, I need to extend love. So I'm gonna purposely call in my love friend and have him come into the room too. And you're gonna do that with whatever thing triggers love, right? So if this song triggers love for me, if the statement, he is not my enemy. I only have one enemy. This is my child whom I love does it for you. Then you call that you call that friend, that love friend, to also come in to get you through the moment. My, It's kind of crude, but this is my metaphor to help me remember this. Feelings are, we often feel them with sensations in our body. So let's say you're standing in line at the grocery store to check out and your body sends you a message of you need to pee. So the first thing you do is acknowledge it. Oh, okay. I'm feeling something right now. There's a sensation happening. The second thing you do is name it. My body's telling me that I need to pee. My bladder is full. That's what's going on right now. The third thing you do is test it. So we have notice it, name it. The third one is test it. Test it means two things. First, is this a distortion from Satan? Is he attacking me somehow? Is he making my son the enemy? Is he whatever, right? So first I'm going to jump in, hold onto the sphere, and discern if this message is a distortion from Satan or if it's real. And then I'm going to test to see if it's the appropriate time. Now, me standing in line at the grocery store is not the appropriate time to just pee myself. So I'm not going to act on that message right now. I can notice it's there. I can name it. But acting on that message would actually not be honoring anything. It would be a problem to stand right there. That's not the appropriate time or place to handle that particular message. So instead I'm going to um, trigger it, is the last one. Notice it, name it, test it, trigger it. To help me get through this moment, standing in the grocery store, I am going to adjust my thoughts so that I see this whole thing over here and not think so much about how bad I need to pee. I am going to turn on a song. I'm gonna do whatever, right? To get you through that moment so you can get to an appropriate time and place to act on the message. So once I hit the bathroom, there we go. Now I can honor my body. I can honor my emotions by acting on it, on the message in the appropriate time and place. Our emotions are not meant to make our decisions. We make our decisions based on our value system, using the information that our emotions bring to us. So when we go through those four steps, then we have the opportunity to acknowledge that emotion in the appropriate time and space. Sometimes it's, hey, anger, right now is not okay to act on this. So I need to just hang out on the couch for a second while I finish this scenario. And then you and I will chat so I can really figure out what was wrong. And then I can have a talk with him or he and I can figure out, right? Other times, like if someone, you're walking down the street and someone's punching you in the face, that's gonna be an appropriate time to act on anger. Anger is gonna say, this isn't okay. And you're gonna go, you're right, stop. And then you're gonna run away because that's the appropriate time to act on that anger. So, sometimes it will be in the moment, but other times it's going to be, nope, right now there's something more important to do. So, I'm going to honor my emotion by waiting until it's the appropriate time and place to act on the message that it's brought to me and to make sure that I can do it within my value system. Mm, so good. BJ? That's yeah, I think we're
6: good. I was just watching to see if was here. I know she had a question earlier. So, if you're still here and want to throw that in there, maybe we have just a minute here. I do
5: have a question. The discussion has really helped me. But I do need help with this. And it is very vulnerable. I'm just going to say it. Um, so I have a higher libido than my husband. And he experiences SSA. And I have talked about this. It's something that I desire and I want. But whenever I bring it up, it just makes it worse and i feel like i am captivated by these feelings and this strong desire and i know that all those things come from satan i know that but they come a lot of times because he will will snuggle and that's the end to it and so even doing something like that Triggers them, so I just feel captivated, like I'm stuck. And then I feel like he's the enemy because he's controlling the situation. Because I've talked about this, I've been vulnerable, I brought it up, and nothing happens, nothing's changed. So I feel like he has complete control over the situation. It's not like a okay, you need this so let's compromise but I don't even know if mentally he's in that state yet and so I just feel yeah captivated by Satan with these feelings so I know I I know that I only have one enemy I know that I know that it's the spirit that drives these feelings away I know that but I also know I need to do something. I need to have a boundary, some sort of boundary so that I can get out of this. Because it, it can be an everyday thing and I don't want it. I want that joy, but I don't want it just because I'm the one that wants it. I want it to be two, two people. And I know that it's not. it's not a need. Because there are women that are single, never been married, they don't ever experience it, divorced. So I know it's not a need, but for right now, this is where Satan is really trying to get me. And so I'm just trying to figure out, how do I take care of myself so that he is not the enemy? And I don't feel like he is controlling everything in this Arena in our life.
0: Thank you so much for that question. So good. Everybody, I think just hearing question and realizing there are a lot more questions. We're going to answer the question because Ashley has time to. And so we're going to stay to answer your question. And gosh, we just honored you for your vulnerability and your honesty. Your question, even though our circumstances isn't exactly the same, is going to help a lot of us. So thank you for that. And then you other ladies, it would be helpful for me as the director of Mothers You Know and knowing what we need in these meetings. If you do have questions that you would like to ask or that you thought, I really needed to know this about this, or anyway, you can hurry and put them in the chat now and we'll save them. Or you can email us at mothersyouknow at org and We'll just take note of that to see if there's a need to have Ashley come back
1: and talk to us again soon. Okay. Thank you. Okay. First, I want to just honor your pain. It's real and I don't want to discredit or disvalidate it. I really appreciate you bringing such a vulnerable thing and sharing that and being so open with what you're experiencing. I think sometimes. One of the distortions we feel is, don't say this. People will not uh, relate or don't bring that up. Some, one of the things I tell people to watch for is the vulnerability hangover of Satan coming in and saying, oh, I can't believe you would say that. Why would you? And sometimes he attacks us to begin with. So if you were experiencing any of that first, well done. Well done battling that out and voicing it anyway. I'm so glad that you did. Way to beat this. I want to start by reading in some scriptures. So, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. And in this chapter, what we see is Christ. Jesus was led up to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Here we go. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And the tempter came unto him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. This series of scriptures, there's two of them. We're going to go one more. But he answered and said, It is written. Man should not live by blood and alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. There's three little verses, and they almost seem inconsequential. But here's something that I learned in the marriage repair workshop in the Lazarus lectures about this scriptures. One of Satan's favorite things is to identify a very clear lack and really harp on it. So in these scriptures, we see Christ, and he was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Of course, he was hungry. Of course, he was. That is the logical conclusion of fasting 40 days and 40 nights, that you would be hungry. And Satan comes to him and says, look at you, you are hungry. You know what? You should probably just do something about that yourself. Just make some, make turn these stones into bread. You can do that. Forget everything else and just solve the problem yourself. And then Christ says, this is fascinating, notice, he says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, after this, Satan says, tries two more things of him. In verse seven, we see Jesus again says, it is written, thou shalt not. And then in verse 10, Christ says, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written with each of these. He responds with the words, it is written, but only with the third one does he actually approach Satan and say, get thee hence, Satan. This is Ashley's interpretation of what's happening. So just, this is me, me and my brain. What I see when I see this is Christ, 40 days and 40 nights, fasting. So of course he's hungry. Of course he's thirsty. Satan comes to him and says, look, you are hungry and thirsty. So make yourself some bread. Just take care of this problem on your own. And then Christ, what he does, I see him turning internally and holding on to this truth that he already knows. It is written, man should not live by bread alone. That he doesn't even address Satan for a minute. First, he just stabilizes himself with the truth. Nope, it is written this. It is written. It is written. And then the second time, Satan comes and he says, you know what? You're the son of God. Jump off of this high cliff. You probably won't even get hurt. And he goes, yeah. It is written. It is written. I think that one Satan's tempting him to like take control of the scenario on his own in another form. And then finally, Christ says, get thee hence Satan. And then he holds onto a truth again. It is written. In the Lazarus lectures, the way these scriptures are applied has changed my perspective of what's happening here. So I'm going to teach it the same way that Maurice teaches it in the Lazarus lectures, which is this 40 days and 40 nights without food creates a very clear lack. Of course he's hungry. He's lacking food right now. And so addressing you specifically in your scenario with what's going on, which is so hard as a fellow high libido female with a spouse that was not, I personally felt that as you were talking and then, especially with the SSA added on there and just all of these dynamics. Of course you're feeling this way. It is not bad. Your emotions are not like leading you down. No, of course. Of course you're feeling disconnected. Of course you're feeling a little bit of wariness. Of course you're feeling this loss, this lack. Of course you are. It's completely natural. It's a clear consequence of a very obvious series of choices. Of course, of course you're feeling that way. In the same way that, of course, Christ was hungry. What Satan likes to do is take these very clear lacks and address them in really big ways, right? So he turns to the Savior and he says, You know what? You're hungry. Just make your own bread and water. Take care of this problem right now. He turns to us in these moments with whatever our lack may be, whether it's specifically what you're experiencing or drawing a little bit larger, whether it's not getting along with our kids or whether it's a spouse who's behaving in other ways or whether it's not being able to have children or whether whatever lack we're experiencing, right? Satan's going to come and he's going to present to us some easy scenario to solve the problem on our own. And that's where we get tricky, where that message, when it becomes do something outside of your value system in order to solve this lack, that's where the attack is coming from. Your feelings, your emotions, those are not the attack. Those are just letting you know, hey, something that's happening right now is really hard. You have a loss to mourn. You were hoping for this one kind of future and it didn't happen. And that's hard. So let's mourn that loss, right? Let's mourn this connection that we're not having right now. Let's mourn this relationship that we hoped for that isn't presenting itself in the way that we hoped right now. Mourning that loss, acknowledging that lack. That's what your emotions are trying to get you to do. And Satan, where his distortion comes in, is generally speaking, you can solve this problem by doing this one thing. You can solve this problem by behaving in that one way, by doing X, Y, Z, something outside your value system, typically. But we find the answer by looking at what Christ did. He, in this moment, I, I we think a lot of Christ is like this God, which he is, but he's also human. So when he's experiencing this temptation, it's a temptation. And he has this moment, this mood battle, this trying to decide whether Satan's going to win or not. That's happening right here. And what we see him do is hold on to a truth that he's already determined is a truth. That he and the Spirit have already set up. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And so he, he holds on to this truth that reminds him of his connection with his Heavenly Father. And that's how he gets through this moment of lack. We turn to him to be filled, something that we some like marriage clinicians might pose the idea of really figuring out what it is that you need so that you can very clearly communicate to your spouse exactly what it is that you need. And what I like that Maurice does different is really getting to know who you are and what you need so that you can come to the savior and let him know where you're at and what you need. And you turn to him to have your needs filled. Why? Because he is perfect and our fellow men are flawed. <laughs> when, we turn to the, when we turn to the humans next to us, they are flawed and their attempts to fill our lack is going to be full of flaws. And it's never going to satiate and it's just not going to work. Repeatedly throughout the scriptures, we see trust not in the arm of flesh. Trust not what man can do. Repeatedly over and over, we're told to turn to our savior and turn to our heavenly father for these lacks that that's where we go to really get that filled. I have experienced my own similar scenario, but not when I was in a healthy space. So instead, I'm going to use a scenario that I had recently. It was at the same state conference where that same guy was talking about, of course, Satan's going to have things organized to really hit on our own little little lies that are going to torment us. Like, hey, this is something that you lack. Let's really harp on that. And I'm sitting there, I was at the Saturday session, which the Saturday session is always like the hidden gem of state conference, right? And everyone, as I walked in, me and my parents walk in and go sit down. Here come all of these couples who managed to get babysitters and they were there together and it was so sweet and perfect. And the only thing that I could see was how I was sitting there alone without a spouse. Mine didn't. Mine didn't show up ages ago, so now he's not even in the picture anymore, right? And all I could see was me just sitting there alone was my lack, this very clear lack of having a partner who's going to take in these things with me. And I had just taught these marriage repair lessons, and as I'm sitting there seeing this lack, I thought, I just taught that when we have a lack, we should turn to Christ. So I guess now that I'm experiencing it, I should try to practice what I teach, so okay, here I go. So I kind of tuned out what was happening for a second. And I took a moment for myself and I just said a prayer and I just said, Hey, Heavenly Father, this is what I'm feeling. Like, <laughs> I'm not okay. I'm missing all of this. I'm missing all of these like sweet little moments where you're building spiritual intimacy with your partner together. I don't have that. And that's all I can see right now is this lack, but I just taught And so I believe it's probably true because it came from scripture applications and someone smarter than me. Now, when I have a lack, I come to you. So I'm coming to you right now with this lack, and it's so hard. And as I sat there saying this prayer, and then slowly tuning back in once my heart rate had settled a little bit, and I was out of that moment for the next however long circumference is, we'll say it's another 45 minutes after this prayer ended. Every single person who spoke. Said the words, "You are not alone," and then proceeded to explain different ways that we are not facing things alone. Now, maybe they were already planning to say that, but boy, if it didn't just hit me over and over and over, of no, 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 you are not alone. Here's a way. You are not alone. Here's another way. You are not alone. Here's another way, and it just kept coming. All of these different ways that my lack was actually being filled by the Spirit and by Christ, and so. That's all I can pass on, really, is this. And I've got one quote I want to share. Sorry, we're way over time, everyone, but, but I want to share one more quote. But just I believe that as we acknowledge our lacks, as we acknowledge the emotions that are coming with that, what we are experiencing, as we hold on to a truth that we've already decided is true, when we had the Spirit there with us to help us to discern, discern what a truth is, and we turn to God and express all of that to him that regardless of what it is we are lacking, he will fill. And might not fill it in the very temporal way we would anticipate or we might hope for in these scenarios. He didn't fill it by giving Christ bread. But what he did give Christ is so much sweeter and so much more fulfilling because it comes from our perfect heavenly father, from our perfect savior, rather than the flawed humans next to us. And even if those flawed humans were to try to fill that, because we're turning to this flawed source, it just isn't going to satiate and we'll still feel that lack. It won't be what we imagined, or it won't be what we were hoping for, or won't be any number of things, right? So, but when we turn to God and He fills it in His perfect, all-encompassing ways, then we feel that and we get that, that bolstering. One quote, then I'll stop. So this is my quote on forgiveness, but I just keep feeling like it's super applicable right now. I tried to talk myself out of it a number of times and just keeps coming. So we're going to read this quote on forgiveness as soon as my computer loads it. This is from Dr. Wendy Ulrich. She is a member of our General Relief Society board, and she wrote the book The Temple Experience. And in this, she says, how can we get back what we lost if we simply forgive? So notice that lack. How can this be fair? In most cases, and certainly in the case of serious wrongdoing, those who have injured or robbed us are not in a position to restore what they have taken. They cannot make full restitution for our loss of peace of mind, loss of self-esteem, loss of sense of well-being. They cannot give us back our lost trust or hope or safety. They cannot restore our lost options or heal our worldview. So if the people who hurt us cannot restore these things to us, how do we ever get back what we lost? How do we ever get that lack filled? As we grant mercy, we gain the right to reclaim our lost blessings from Jesus Christ himself. When we forgive others, Christ assumes their debt to us. And we look to him for that healing, peace, security, hope, trust, well-being, or sense of self-image that he alone can restore. He's willing to take this debt if we are willing to release the original debtor to him to deal with on his terms with his infinite wisdom and perspective on all the factors involved in their choices. We allow Jesus to deal as he sees fit with those who owed us because now the debt is between him and them alone and we get out of the middle. Seen in this light, forgiving others their debts is not simply pretending nobody owes us, not simply pretending that we have a lack, which would not be just. It is rather a process of turning to Christ for those things that we lack rather than turning to those who cannot restore them anyway. Okay. What thoughts are you having?
2: Thank you so much. This is exactly
1: what I needed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for bringing that to tie in our boundaries. It might be just something to the effect of when I'm experiencing a lack, this is how I behave. This is what I do. This is where I go. That would be your boundary. And if there's something that the spirit saying this actually isn't appropriate, you might remove yourself from that situation.
0: One of the parts of her scenario was the thing that, you know, triggers the big lack is that he's snuggling, which is probably what in his mind is like, you know, I I've heard her say this is my need, right? And so this is his attempt to try to meet that need, but it's not, right? It's just and so so would there be a boundary? Because you can also see how Satan would move in right there, right, to say. Not only are you having this great lack, but probably the way to solve this is to disconnect. Right? Don't snuggle ever. Do I mean? Like there'd be these absolute things that would also make things even more difficult. So anyway, I just wonder if that was part of question. Like, is there boundaries that need to be set up that are like physical boundaries? Because I I don't like that feeling. I'm just not going to do that. Do you know what I mean? I've actually had that
1: thought <laughs> like, okay, I can't do that. And that might be true for where you're at right now. That might not be something you can do, which is okay. It's okay to acknowledge and honor our limits. And if that's not something you can do, then honor that and don't do it. But how do you build true connection in other ways? That's not, that's not being used as a tool to attack you. Very good. Thanks, you. Thank you, Ashley.
0: Thank you. Yeah, so, so awesome. Wish we had another hour. It was so great, Ashley. Do you have any final things to say before we go?
1: Just a reiteration, I suppose, of boundaries are about us, about what I can control, what I will do, what I won't do, what I can do, what I can't do. And those decisions are best made with the spirit. So when we use our boundaries to prioritize Marie says annoyingly prioritize to the point of, nope. when we use our boundaries to annoyingly prioritize our connection with the spirit, then we begin to find power within what we can and cannot do. So remember, if I don't have the spirit, I don't talk, I don't think, I don't listen. So good.
0: Okay, Ashley, thank you. You have our love and appreciation today. Thank you so much. Yeah, and and you can tell this was so meaningful to so many because of our numbers staying so high throughout this whole thing. So thank you, sisters, for being here. Really appreciate you ladies that came thinking I was going to share. She told told me to come and share. So I would invite you ladies that came with a question as well as a takeaway. Will you just plan to share that in our recording? that we have this next Monday, that will be helpful. You'll be all prepared and we can kind of make that recording about that, if that's okay, Ashley.
1: Definitely. And then just a reminder for anyone, but anyone who's not part of the recording, that in September, Mm -hmm. I will be teaching a course on boundaries. where We're really digging into your personal scenario and what's going on and helping you find the boundaries for yourself. So if you're interested in that, just I'll make sure I let Mothers Who Know know. Or if you come follow me on Instagram, you'll see announcements for that as well. So good. All right.
0: Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ashley. Love you all. See you next time. Thank you for being with us today, Warrior Moms. I invite you to make a donation at the top of our website, mothersyouknow.org. Any amount you can afford today will help us keep Mothers Who Know services free for all moms. Thank you so much for your generosity. Moms, remember your divine identity and great worth. Continue in your courageous efforts to support God's great work. Notice the miracles you see every day, the evidence of the Savior's love and mercy. Find the message in your message. Reach out and share the principles you learn in Mothers You Know with other mothers. You are God's secret weapon for good in this world. Finally, a few pieces of information for you. I recommend a few other podcast channels to listen to. Like Dragons Do They Fight podcast, that includes interviews and stories with those that have struggled and overcome something in their life. And the Eternal Warriors podcast, hosted by two YSA young men who share their story, teach valuable lessons, and interview special guests. You can follow us on our social media pages on Facebook under LCS. Or search for Mothers You Know. And on Instagram, username at mothers underscore Who Know. Last, if you would like additional support and training, please go to mompowertraining.com to sign up for the next eight-week mompower training class for all moms. You can also go to the Mothers You Know website at MothersYouKnow.org or our parent company, Life Changing Services, at LifeChangingServices.org to learn more about our excellent services to support you and your loved ones. Thank you so much for listening today. Please feel free to email me anytime with questions or to set up a complimentary 30-minute appointment to visit. Please email me at know at LifeChangingServices.org. Looking forward to hearing from you amazing moms. See you next time.